1: Welcome back to another episode of Superhuman Radio. Today is Monday, November 4th, 2019. For those of you listening to this show 100 years from now and realizing that we knew a lot more than the general population about staying alive, staying fit, and uh, aging better. And today's discussion is going to be on nutrition. Uh, I'm joined by uh, a good friend of mine and also uh, a past contributor to superhuman radios blog and that's uh, none other than alex leaf how you doing alex i'm doing good Carl. how are you welcome 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 yeah i'm doing good you know i got sick on that trip i told you i came home with some sort of upper respiratory virus and it is hanging on i mean this is well past two weeks and i still don't feel back to myself again so so here's what i learned alex uh save thousands and thousands of dollars uh don't go on a cruise just go to a local hospital and lick the floor and uh, and you <laughs> yeah you'll 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 achieve the same end result as going on a cruise. So there you go. So today's interview is probably going to piss some people off. Um, but if you are open to the truth and facts, and you are a critical thinker and not an emotional uh, person, uh, you should pay very very close attention to this discussion. For a long time, uh, many people have distinguished and and th- including myself, up until uh probably a year and a half ago, I started to rethink this whole thing um we've 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 distinguished when we were eaters of grass fed grass finished beef uh, or even organic g f g f beef, you know somehow we were eating a better quality of beef, and there are those out there who say Uh, that's really not true. So you've dug into this research, correct?
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: So what made you even look at this, Alex? Um, Well, actually,
2: I'm in the process of finalizing a fat loss program. Um, It's 18 different lessons that I give a presentation on, and hopefully around the beginning of the new year, people will be able to purchase the program and be able to optimize their body composition goals. And so one of the lesson plans that I want to include as kind of a uh, Easter egg is one called Nutrition Myths and Misconceptions. And it doesn't really have a lot to do with fat loss, but it's just somewhere where I address a lot of common beliefs in nutrition and look at what uh, we actually know about the topic and help clear the air on some of the things that a lot of people tend to get dogmatic about.
1: So, now, now we should say at this point that uh, you are not someone who makes nutritional suggestions because you are an Instagram phenom, but you've actually gone to school. You have a master's degree, correct? Yeah. In nutrition, Right. But you also have something else. You're a certified sports nutritionist as well, right?
2: Yeah, I've been a a sports nutritionist with the ISSN for about four years.
1: So, so in fact, you don't just post cool stuff uh, on social media and build a huge following, and ergo all of your thoughts are correct. You actually... Work very, very. I, I would even say that some people would say, you know, that Alex Leaf, he's just confrontational because he's so disagreeable. But the reality is, you're not disagreeable. They are. That in fact, you spend uh, a lot of time uh, and and effort reading studies. Isn't that amazing? Go figure.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: I mean, most people just make stuff up today, and and if they have a big enough following on social media, everybody just assumes that they know what they're talking about. Isn't that an interesting phenomenon today?
2: Yeah, but, you know, I would also challenge that there's a huge problem with the other side of the coin, which is that, um, you know, on one end, you have people that do exactly as you say. They build up a huge following. They have um, ideas that generate revenue for them and so they have a huge incentive to continue to promote something even uh, in the face of contradictory evidence. Um, but on the other hand, you also have a lot of people who can't seem to think outside the evidence that is available and do what I like to call logical speculation, where you take things that haven't been uh well investigated, but you're still able to generate conclusions about them based on what is known and using a little logical speculation. Um and I've gotten into arguments with both. Uh you know, I've had people uh my friend Chris Masterjohn has coined the term evidence based nutrition troll. Um and it basically just describes people that Ask you for a PubMed study to back up everything you say when you know that's not always appropriate. Uh, for example, there hasn't ever been a randomized controlled trial conducted to tell us that parachute parachutes save lives of people jumping out of uh, planes. But so it's like, do you need to have a randomized controlled trial to conclude that parachutes are probably a good idea? No. Why? Because you can logically speculate that because of gravity, when you jump 30,000 feet out of the air, you're going to die if you don't have a parachute.
1: No, it's a, that's a really, really great analogy. And and I see these people uh, in social media as well. They're lazy. These are very, very, when, when, when you post something, even if it's science-based, and then you make an assertion based on that, Science, you extrapolate because because uh, critical thinkers have the ability to extrapolate. You know, if 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 this does that, and, and and this leads to that, then the thing that leads to that probably does that as well. And I, I'm, I'm I'm oversimplifying this, but the reality is, then you have some uh, 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 in, intellectually lazy person who wants to disagree with you, but doesn't want to put in the time to do the research because, in fact, they may be dissuaded. To think differently, uh, just will post, you know, post the post the studies. Like now, I'm supposed to go back and spend my time uh, po- finding studies to post to convince this person. When in fact, I don't want to convince that person of anything. In fact, you know what? I, I'm I've come to the conclusion that there is a thinning of the herd uh, going on today because of the inappropriate information about nutrition and yeah. it may not be a bad thing actually 200 years from now because there's going to be a lot of stupid people who just follow uh the the people who have the power today which are the ones spending the money to make them think certain things uh that uh, won't their genes won't be in the gene pool 2 300 years from now and that may not be a bad thing actually am i am i being cynical you think i'm getting too old i'm starting to become an angry white guy
2: no i mean our population is already uh, growing at unsustainable rates, so you know we need some people to leave.
1: Yeah, and, and why? And why not be people who actually don't contribute to the the the, the sum of 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 human knowledge, uh, but instead uh, follow like lemmings uh, to the cliff edge? Yeah, yeah. So let's go ahead and uh, get some of those people to line up at the cliff. So let's talk about this. So. Uh, where did you start when you wanted to determine whether or not there was truly a value, a justification in seeking out uh, organic grass-fed uh, beef as opposed to conventional beef? Um, well, I came across,
2: uh, there were recently some large meta-analyses that looked at uh, organic meats and compared them to conventional meats and these have also been done with produce and dairy products nothing for eggs yet um but i was having trouble when i was looking through it and looking through the supplemental materials they never actually uh uh did a good job stratifying by um animal type and because they included pork chicken lamb and beef, and I think there was rabbit and goat as well. Um, But also, it's hard to, uh, it was hard to determine whether these were actually grass-fed animals because the organic labeling, the organic certification in the U.S. requires that the animals be raised on pasture only up until about, I think it's somewhere between 60 and 120 days before slaughter, at which point they're allowed to be fed grain. And we have at least one study I'm aware of where they feed cattle uh, grain. They switch them from grass to grain and track over time changes in their fatty acid composition. And it shows that when you start grain feeding a cow, the changes start occurring uh, pretty rapidly within about 30 days and so I didn't think that this would be really a fair comparison because although there are um, some grass-fed beef that are finished on grain to help increase the consistency in the Fat. the uh, parameters of the meat and the such, um, most people who are looking for grass-fed want to be grass-fed throughout its entire life. Right. So grass-fed and grass-finished.
1: Right. And 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 and, so. and, 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 mo- and and the reality is that all cows, uh, cattle raised for beef, are grass-fed up until that uh, period of time where they're getting ready to process them, and they want and and then they'll feed them uh, high corn diets because they put on weight rapidly, like a couple pounds a day, would, and it's considered mostly fat uh, that they're putting on. And so the reality is that all cows are grass-fed. The distinguishing attribute should be the grass-finished part. Wouldn't you agree with that?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I definitely would.
1: So uh, what, what did change in the fatty acid composition of cows that were finished on grain before processing?
2: Well, I actually didn't want to use those meta-analyses because they weren't specific enough for me, and I didn't want to mislead anyone in my analysis. So serendipitously, I came across just a recent publication that came out this year in the Journal of Meat and Muscle Biology by researchers from Michigan State University. And what these researchers did is they actually purchased um grass-fed beef from 12 produ- producers across the U.S. that existed in 10 states. Uh, and the, the beef was supplied by farms raising as little as 25 head of cattle to as many as 5,000 head of cattle per farm. Interesting. And so while some of these beef are likely to be finished on grain, I really liked this one because it's going to give us a realistic look at what the differences are on average in grass-fed beef that is commercially available for sale. So, like, if you go to Whole Foods and you want grass-fed right, beef.
1: Right, right, which, which then, is important because what good is doing a, a study on beef that the average consumer finds unattainable?
2: Exactly. So there might be some different... And the other thing is that they also provided ranges. And so, I mean, like one of the farms in here only had 25 head of cattle on it. These were pure pasture grass finished. And the researchers told us what their values were for various parameters. They gave you the range. And so you can actually see what the best possible outcome that they found among the beef was rather than just looking at averages that might be diluted because of um, some of the other ones.
1: Right, right,
2: and so I mean a really, really good example of that is um, so they they wanted to get the exact same type of beef cut. So they purchased uh, grass fed beef loin, things like uh, tenderloin and nice, the
1: nice, which which which, which has a, a has an observable leanness to it, uh, yeah. and also uh, an an observable density to the muscle, yep. which which makes it really a great cut. Uh, to use as a barometer,
2: yeah, yeah, and so I looked up the exact same cuts of meat on the USDA database and as my comparison point because the study didn't like purchase conventional beef to serve as a control group. It was just interested in quantifying what existed in commercially available grass fed beef. So all of my comparison points come from me polling. Uh, the average of conventional beef um, of the same cut as a comparison point.
1: So, okay. good. I'm sorry.
2: Well, the first biggest difference that you'll see is is in the fat cut. This is where most of the differences exist. Is in the fat, and grass fed beef is way leaner than conventional. Uh, on average, the grass fed beef that they analyzed had only. grams of total fat per 100 grams or three and a half ounces of beef.
1: That's
2: that's leaner than a chicken breast. Um, And so when you look at uh, the conventional counterpart, it has 5.6 grams of fat. So there's a five gram fat difference between them or about 45 calories.
1: Or I was going to say about 40... Eight percent? I'm sorry, forty-two percent. Uh, am I right about? Wait, 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 what am I thinking? I got to reverse that out. No, uh, I, I'm thinking ninety-two uh, percent difference in in the amount of fat. Right? Am I am I getting my math cro- crooked here?
2: I, I have no idea. Yeah, no, forget math, about it. But it, it's big. I'm just going bl- <laughs> to blame
1: it on difference. the. De- I'm going to blame it on the decongestant. That's all. There um, we go. Yeah. So, and and is there any difference in the quality of that fat. Do we in fact see the uh, the hypothetical higher degree of of uh, omega sixes and nines versus threes in the uh, conventional side?
2: Yeah. So, uh, as part of of the stuff I talked about in my presentation, what I did is for this part, for the individual fatty acids, I took the most common arguments that you'll hear on the internet about why you should purchase grass-fed beef, and I used the best possible outcomes to support those arguments. So, for example, when we're looking at the total omega-6 fatty acid of the beef cuts, I didn't look at the average of the grass-fed beef as my comparison point. Instead, I took the lowest recorded value and compared that to the average of conventional Um, I took the highest recorded value of the omega-3 fatty acids and uh, compared that to conventional. And I took the highest recorded value of the conjugated linoleic acid or CLA content of the grass-fed beef and compared that to the conventional because I wanted to represent grass-fed beef in the best possible light I could to illustrate to everyone just how insignificant the differences are when we actually dig into it.
1: And so how insignificant are they?
2: Okay. Well, let me first say what you'll probably hear on the internet. So based on this study and my comparisons, here's what... uh, Oh, wait, wait, wait,
1: wait, let me me throw the first myth out that I I learned was a myth a couple years ago, Okay, a piece of grass-fed beef has as much omega-3s in it as a piece of salmon. You've heard that one, right? No, I haven't. Oh, you haven't? I I actually heard that one at a... At an event where a grass-fed beef company was uh, promoting their product, it, it wasn't a, a well-known one. In fact, I, I it was a paleo event, and it was a new company, and they were trying to create this subscription service. And And the guy who ran the, the company was there, and he said to a group of us that a piece of grass-fed, grass-finished beef has as much omega-3 fatty acids. As a piece of salmon. And I am guilty of repeating that until I realized that it was a lie.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's not even, even remotely close to uh, what at least this study shows. So I don't know where they got that from. Um, I don't know. Maybe they fed the beef salmon meal. Maybe that yeah, has right, a, yeah. plays a role in it. In I don't fact, know. In
1: fact, I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you something. I, I had no intention of talking about this, but. John Wood, who owns and runs um, uh, Grassland Beefs, uh, 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 uswellnessmeats.com, I said that to him and he looked at me flat. Now, he has every reason to go with that and go, "Oh yeah. I said that to him. He goes, no, that's just flat out a lie. <laughs> and he's a guy who sells beef. And that's when I thought maybe I need to look into this. And I did. And I found out that, in fact, that is probably the biggest lie I've ever heard told about grass fed beef and that company, I don't even see them anymore. So, you know, they've gone.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so some of the, some of the internet claims, uh, based on my dad, here's what, here's what you'll hear on the internet. Grass fed beef has 20 times less Omega six, two and a half times more Omega three and an Omega six to Omega three ratio of one compared to 16 in conventional beef.
1: Yeah, uh, that would be so, outstanding if it was true.
2: Yeah, and surprisingly, um, both grass-fed and conventional beef have pretty much the same amount of CLA. Uh, I presume people say grass-fed beef has higher levels of CLA when you report it based on a percentage of the fat rather than in absolute amounts interesting um because grass feds leaner Leaner, right right, so if you have a given amount of fat of a fatty acid and you express that just as like a percentage of the fat then it'll seem higher um but yeah uh
1: what are some what are some of the other lies told about the difference between conventional well wait wait, wait, let's 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 talk about this for a second organic because this is, this is very fascinating to me. I've always questioned the whole organic thing just because I know that herbicides and pesticides become airborne. And we know that they can cross-contaminate entire crops miles away from the actual center of spraying. And so I've always wondered how they could guarantee that the cows who are roaming around land and, and, and eating the grass... Uh, and, and quite often drinking accumulated water in ponds, creeks, and, and small uh, bodies of water uh, that are generally standing, how, we can, how they can guarantee that this is organic beef if, in fact, they didn't test the final product for the presence of herbicides and pesticides?
2: Yeah, um, that's a good question, and I'll, I'll touch on that a little later. Okay. Um, okay. But I want to kind of finish this, this fatty acid thing because it's a really good example of how the way in which you choose to report information can completely change the message that the people listening receive. So let's take 20 times less omega six. That sounds really, really good in favor of grass-fed beef, right? But when you look at the absolute amount, Of fat, that 20 times less omega-6 corresponds to a difference of just 300 milligrams per 100 grams of beef. So another way to look at this is if you eat an entire kilogram of grass-fed beef or 2.2 pounds, then you're only avoiding three grams of omega-6 fatty acids compared to if you ate conventional. And that three grams is what you would, get if you just ate one ounce of almonds or, and three times less than if you ate an ounce of walnuts. So it seems like a huge difference, but it's going to be completely drowned out based on the other foods in your diet. And this is a huge issue with looking at the ratio too. That omega six to omega three ratio of one sounds incredible, but you can't just look at isolated foods because Uh, what matters is the ratio of the overall diet. And so even though the ratio in grass-fed beef is so low and amazing, um, it's based on such minuscule amounts of fatty acids that other fat sources in your diet are easily going to drown out what the beef contributes.
1: Very interesting.
2: Yeah. So now let's look at how grass-fed beef has two and a half times more omega-3 fatty acids. Again, that's pretty impressive. But it corresponds to a difference of just 28 milligrams per 100 grams of beef. So if you eat a kilogram of grass-fed beef, you're getting just 280 milligrams more omega-3 fatty acids. And of the 280 milligrams of omega-3 fatty acids, 200 of those are from alpha linoleic acid which is the plant-based omega-3 fatty acid that's not readily converted into EPA or DHA in humans. Right. Um, specifically, less than 6% on average is turned into EPA and less than 3% to DHA. So if you look exclusively at EPA and DHA, an entire kilogram of grass-fed beef gives you at most 140 milligrams of EPA and... 10 milligrams of DHA. You can get the same amount of EPA and 14 times more DHA from eating just 14 grams or half an ounce of King salmon. So,
1: but what about half- those who will argue that while those may be insignificant as a single serving, they are contributory overall through the day of, all no. of your meals.
2: No, that's ridiculous you have to eat a kilogram of grass-fed beef to get just 140 milligrams of EPA and 10 milligrams of DHA.
1: Yeah, it's really nothing. It's That's, like it's like, it almost reminds me of the uh the smarmy advertising that companies put on their packaging. A good source of omega-3s and you find out it has 14 milligrams of omega-3s in it in a serving. Yeah. Kind of the same thing. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And so
2: then let's look at CLA, right? Grass-fed and conventional beef have equivalent amounts of CLA, about 20 milligrams per 100 grams of beef. And that's absolutely nothing. Uh, one of the best controlled studies on the effects of CLA in humans found that over a four-week period, supplementing with 2.2 to 2.7 grams of ruminant CLA per day for several weeks had no significant effect on any health marker other than marginally reducing triglycerides. And to obtain that level of CLA intake would require eating 10 to 12 kilograms of grass-fed beef. Um, It's just not realistic. Yeah. So, I mean, when you hear people talk about how grass-fed beef has more omega-3 or CLA or whatever, you need to have context for that statement. Uh, A good analogy is that three pennies is 300% more than one penny, but it's still not a lot of money.
1: Yeah, that's a great analogy.
2: Um, and we see this with other things too. So the Michigan State University study also looked at the concentrations of minerals and antioxidants. And just like with fatty acids, there is huge variation in many of these compounds, uh, including iron, zinc, copper, selenium, vitamin E, and beta carotene. And on average, the amounts of most were higher than conventional beef. But the difference wasn't an appreciable amount. It it wouldn't be enough to have a notable impact on health or vitamin and mineral status.
1: What about what about other nutrients that we find um, I, 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 more so with vitamins and stuff like that? I mean, there's the ar- argument that that uh, the, these cows, because they are allowed, because they're designed to uh, eat grass, are allowed to eat grass for their entire life before processing that there's somehow other health contributors, uh, to eating grass fed beef. Is there, is there anything in, in, I mean, everything else so far seems so insignificant that that makes you think, well, why pay the extra money?
2: Yeah. Um, so my answer to that's maybe, um, and I say that simply because maybe there's some type of zoo nutrient that. Uh, is affected that hasn't been assessed in the research that I've seen. Right. But based on on what I've seen, I can't think of anything that would be different between the two uh, to a notable extent.
1: You know, grass fed beef may be the biggest hoax ever.
2: Well, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, there's certainly really good environmental and ethical reasons to eat it. Yes, it's just from a nutritional standpoint, it's not. It, it's there isn't that big of a difference.
1: That's amazing. Um, I want to take our first commercial break. Okay. When we come back, do you want to start talking about the whole organic thing, or do you want some other nutritional stuff you want to cover first?
2: Uh, There's two more things about beef I want to cover, and then we can switch over to talking about plants.
1: Okay. All right. Let's do that. Stay tuned. Redcon One is one of the fastest-growing supplement companies in the world today. That's because they produce supplements that deliver on their promises. From their flagship pre-workout Total War to their innovative whole food MREs and bars, now you can get the deepest discount ever offered to any audience anywhere. Use code SHR and get 25% off all Redcon One products today. SHR and 25% off. Go to redcon1.com, that's R-E-D-C-O-N, the number one, dot com. Do you use protein powder? Then you'll want to hear this. Thrive Protein is the single best protein blend in the world, built around what Mother Nature put into mother's milk. Thrive Protein is the first human-appropriate protein blend. There's just too much in Thrive to list in this commercial. That's why I'm challenging you to compare your current protein to Thrive. Get your current protein and go to thrivprotein.com and see how your protein's label stacks up to Thrive. For a limited time, get three pounds of Thrive for $59.95, including shipping inside the USA. That's T-H-R-I-B and code COMPARE. Get ready to experience protein envy. Hey, this is Carl. For 14 years, you've heard me talk about can eye drops, and they being the reason that I do not need reading glasses at now 61 years old. But I regularly get emails and messages from people who've been using can and having some amazing results. Recently, I got an email from a fellow named Chad, who, because he was on dexamethasone eye drops for over six months, developed a cataract. can eye drops actually reduced my cataract to the point where even my doctor has a hard time finding it. I will never stop using can eye drops twice a day. I've been using them since 2008, he says. And you should be too. There is no better way to keep your eyes healthy and seeing clearly than can see eye drops. Go to wisechoicemedicine.com today and get on board and we will both be looking into the future with very clear vision. Are you still on the fence about body protection complex, BPC oral from drseeds.com? Listen to Maggie Kuhn, one of the owners of the Bus Lifting Company, Jim in Columbus, Ohio. I
2: have been having some nagging tendon issues that weren't injuries, just just things that were annoying. You know, I'm 58 years old, so just older tendon kind of issues. For us powerlifter, you know, we really don't stop training when we have just nagging issues. We just kind of keep pushing through. And I started the BPC. What I noticed was I was doing some heavy tricep stuff that um, that would have killed me um, before when I had an elbow problem, and I was able to do this with literally no pain at all.
1: Go to DrSeeds.com, dot com. Use coupon code SHR and save 20% off your bottle of BPC Body Protection Complex
0: today. Men and women, you've heard about hormone optimization. Do you feel like it's something you want to look into? RenewLifeRx.com is the place to start. Their doctors can help you with the solutions. RenewLifeRx.com has a simple process for lab work, consultation, and taking a deep dive into where your hormone levels can be improved. Superhuman radio listeners get 30% off your initial lab work and consultation. Go to RenewLifeRx.com to schedule your no-obligation phone consultation today. Feel younger, get in better shape, and be more productive at RenewLifeRx.com. Spit that out right now. This is the Superhuman Channel.
1: Welcome back. If you're not familiar with Alex Leaf and you're listening to the show going, wow, this guy is really on top of his game, he can help you too. His website is AlexLeaf.com. And you can go there and reach out to him. He's got some amazing blog posts there, first of all. Uh, But more importantly, you can reach out to him and he will help you with your personal nutrition, whether you're an athlete uh, or somebody who just wants to regain your health. As you can tell from the discussion, he is all about the real effects and meaning of the science. He doesn't have an agenda. He's not a paleo guy or a keto guy. Uh, What he is is a guy who is interested in the aspects of real human nutrition. The website, again, is alexleaf.com. Check him out. Okay, so let's talk more about the uh, nutritional side before we start talking about uh, organics.
2: Okay. Um, And thanks for the little brief commercial introduction. That was very kind.
1: Of course, of course.
2: Um. So this doesn't so much have to do with the nutritional content, right? Uh This next part doesn't really have to do with what the beef contains so much as it does what it doesn't contain. And the first one with that is going to be pathogens. So this is probably one of the better arguments outside of uh environmental and ethical considerations for purchasing grass-fed beef is that... Um, commercial beef is more often, oh, and we're moving away, uh, from that Michigan State University study that I was talking about earlier. This is, this is other research. Um, commercial beef is more often contaminated with E. coli, uh, due to how the cattle are slaughtered and brought to market. So like the meat and fat come from multiple different animals and the slaughter rates are a couple hundred head per hour. So there's a lot more, uh,
1: Probability
2: that the meat would get contaminated sloppiness,
1: with. sloppiness.
2: Yeah, yeah, with fecal matter, which is where the E. coli comes from, which is the most common uh, foodborne pathogen that causes food. But poisoning. what
1: about? But what about the uh, uh, the uh, internet myth, perhaps, uh, that the type of E. coli that is the one that makes people sick, and I I, I forget what it is, like E.M.S. one nine six or some crap like that. I mean, I'm just saying, I don't remember what the numbers are. They say, oh, you only find it in cows that are fed grains. Have you found that to be true?
2: No, uh, that's E. coli 0157H7. Yes, Yes, that's it. And grass-fed and conventional beef have equivalent levels of that bacteria in their feces. Um, The issue isn't that conventional or grass-fed beef have different amounts of that bacteria present in their feces. The issue is specifically how the cattle are slaughtered. And conventional cattle have a higher likelihood of being contaminated with feces when they're being prepared to be brought to the market. Uh, Grass-fed beef doesn't. Um, And a related concern is that the bacteria on conventional beef, although the E. coli concentrations are similar in the feces, the E. coli that you find in conventional beef demonstrates uh greater resistance to common antibiotics um so if you do get any food poisoning there's a chance that it will be more severe and less responsive to medical treatment okay so let's let's
1: talk about that for a second so i I did a show a couple years ago about um the e coli found on produce that has been exposed to Glyphosate and one other uh, glyphosate and there's one other so glyphosate and one other herbicide display antimicrobial, almost antibiotic-like properties, and as a result of that, when the the crops are sprayed, uh, any any pathogen on the plant receives a very very low level uh, of this exposure. And as a result, the pathogen undergoes hormesis and becomes more resistant. And so, therefore, when they wash these plants with the uh, uh, washes that they clean them with that are supposed to be antimicrobial in nature and rid the plants of any uh, pathogens that may be on there before they are sent off to market, those pathogens didn't die from the traditional wash any longer because they were stronger. So what about the argument that the reason that is, is because conventional cows are given antibiotics, not just to create a herd protection from disease, but also because they get fatter faster. This is well known amongst the the, the beef cattle industry. What about that?
2: Uh, I think that that could certainly contribute. I mean, the bottom line is that regardless of what caused it, the... Uh, analyses of conventional cattle show that the, um, pathogens that they contain are more resistant to antibiotics. Interesting. Um, so I mean, yeah, maybe it comes because they eat, uh, feed that has been overly sprayed with pesticides. Um, uh, maybe it comes about for some other reason because they're being fed grains, um and the pesticides are irrelevant. I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. Um, but but, but, but I, conclusively
1: I, they are more resistant. That's for sure. Yeah
2: yeah. Um, now I mean the one thing with with the whole discussion about pathogenic bacteria is that the issue is kind of a moot point if you just cook your meat thoroughly, right? Because cooking kills the meat, and there's a reason why they say to cook your meat to. I think beef is like at least 145 degrees Fahrenheit, um, ideally 165. But then you run into other issues with palatability. You know, some people like their meat, medium rare or whatever. And you also run into issues with the formation of carcinogens from high-heat cooking methods.
1: Right, 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 high-heat, high-heat, which you've written Um, extensively about and talked extensively about over the years.
2: Yep. So, I mean, ideally, it's just like you might as well, if you like you know, if you like to eat, if you eat your meat undercooked, then you'd probably want to go with grass fed if for no reason other than that's going to minimize your chance of getting sick. Um, and that chance might be pretty low, uh, out of all of the foodborne outbreaks in the U.S. in 2017, the CDC reported that only 9% of them were due to beef, um, which isn't insignificant, but you compare that to like, 14% Fourteen percent for chicken, twenty-one percent for mollusks, which are you know oysters and other shellfish. Uh, um, how
1: many? How many for, vet, for, for produce? Uh,
2: I don't remember that off the top of my head. I just remember some of the animal ones. Okay. Uh, okay. But anyway, point is, is, is. I mean, maybe your risk is low. Maybe getting grass fed only reduces the absolute risk of getting sick from like. 9% down to like 8%, I don't know. Um, but there is a lower risk.
1: Interesting.
2: Um, and so then the other part that I want to talk about relates precisely to, to kind of what we just said about pesticides. And, um, it's, it's really well known that pesticides and other organic pollutants are lipid soluble and stored in the fat of animals. Uh, and that includes humans. Um, and so it makes sense that cattle that are exposed to higher levels of environmental pollutants and pesticides, uh, be it in the environment or on the food that they're eating would contain more toxicants in their meat. Uh, but we don't have a lot of data on this. Um, it's one of those areas where you can speculate logically and come to that conclusion, but there hasn't been a lot of direct investigation into this. And unfortunately, uh, the only area where we do have direct investigation that, that I know of has to do with glyphosate. And that research shows pretty clearly that uh, feeding glyphosate to cattle doesn't affect their health or their growth. And it doesn't show up in their meat or their milk. Really? Um, so ruminants, for whatever reason, I haven't looked into the reason why, but ruminants have a really good uh, ability to detoxify glyphosate from their body, so it doesn't appear to negatively affect their health, and it doesn't get stored in their meat, their fat. So or when their you milk.
1: so so when you say it doesn't get stored, you mean zero was found. Or... I mean
2: that the researchers uh, feed, the researchers took cattle and had them undergo the exact same uh, growing conditions except for one difference. And that difference was that some cattle received their conventional feed that didn't have any pesticides on it. And the other cattle received conventional feed that was grown normally that was super rich in pesticides like glyphosate. And when the researchers then killed the cattle, took the meat and, or well, when the cattle got old enough to either produce milk, they took samples of the milk and then the meat cattle, they slaughtered the cattle and took the samples of the meat and they looked through the meat and the milk for any indication of glyphosate. And they, they looked for the DNA and RNA residues of glyphosate and they couldn't find any, um, so glyphosate, for all intents and purposes, was not stored on the cattle and was not excreted in their milk. Um, and that might have to do with, if I had to guess, it would probably have to do with all of the bacteria in their four stomachs.
1: Yeah, I was just saying say when their four have stomachs, that, right, exactly.
2: Yeah, when you have that many bacteria, you're going to have a really good ability to metabolize substances that you might not otherwise metabolize. And so maybe those bacteria fed on the glyphosate and uh we able to detoxify it before it got into the cattle because wow. i mean in for humans we know that that uh, mothers who are breastfeeding and live by farms that spray glyphosate they have glyphosate in their breast milk yeah. and we also know glyphosate stored in the adipose
1: tissue of humans right so it's, there an, has it's, to be it's a been identified there. in placenta it's been identified in the placenta which means that it it, it gets past that Placental barrier that is all supposed to be there to protect the the baby. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, but that's amazing that cows seem to be. I could just see their microbes in their stomach going, "Oh, glyphosate, we love this. Let's eat it up." Like you know, meanwhile with us, it it, it passes through and gets into our tissue. I mean, that's really yeah. amazing.
2: Yeah. So, anyway, oh I, well, I guess there's one more thing I want to talk about yes, too. Please. Um, this one's really quick because. This is an area where there's pretty much no research, but it's an interesting thought experiment. So we've known since at least the 1970s that stress within 48 hours of slaughter causes glucocorticoids like adrenaline and cortisol to infiltrate the meat of the cattle.
1: And and it's thought that it actually toughens the meat, that it gives the meat a a kind of funky, gamey flavor. Right, right. Exactly.
2: It makes the meat more acidic and less tender, and it makes it less appealing to the consumer. Um, but what I haven't been able to find an answer to is whether slaughter stress or the chronic stress from living on a factory farm environment impacts the nutritional content of the beef. Um, so, I mean, it's just something to think about, right? Uh, you are what you eat. And so maybe having the glucocorticoids in the meat has a negative impact on, uh, certain nutritional aspects of the meat, or even on our own health when we eat it, because maybe we'll we would be ingesting some extra cortisol or adrenaline. Right. Right. Um, I don't know. Hasn't been an area that's been researched.
1: I uh, this is interesting. Uh, a Mennonite farmer I used to do business with years ago had a cow that wandered out and was hit by a truck, uh, and the cow didn't die instantly. It took a long time for the cow to die. And he asked me, he, he, I said, what would you do with it? He goes, well, you know, he says, I processed it. He says, um, and, you know, I, he says, you want to try some? And I said, yeah, sure. And he gave me a couple what would have been, uh, I guess, uh, sirloins. And, and sirloin isn't known to be a very tender piece of meat to begin with. But it had a flavor. It had a taste to me. That, and I don't know if it was just placebo, like I was thinking about it, but it had a taste to me, and I couldn't eat it. And uh, the taste almost was like the smell of creosote. And all I could think of was because the cow was in such horrible pain before it died, that it was it was you know just producing so many stress hormones that it permeated the meat. But it, it, I couldn't eat it. I couldn't eat it. And, it, and I've eaten, you know, I mean, I, I, I hunt. I've eaten lots of animals that didn't die graciously. So it wasn't that. It wasn't like I was, you know, uh, squeamish about it. But it, I definitely tasted something different in the meat that I didn't want to eat it. So um, I want to take our last commercial break. When we come back, we'll wrap up the interview. Uh, we're talking okay. with Alex Leaf, and he can be your personal assistant for your nutrition if you go to alexleaf.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Superhuman Radio. Are you looking for a better way to absorb the nutrients you know you need? Do what I do and start your day with lipospheric supplements from Live On Labs. Unlike pills and powders, Live On's patented liposomal encapsulation technology transports nutrients like vitamin C, vitamin B, glutathione, acetyl L-carnitine, and alpha-lipoic acid to where they need to be. Yourselves. Visit try.liveonlabs.com forward slash Carl to learn why I take these supplements every day to help me perform in the gym and in life. That's try.liveonlabs.com slash Carl you already know the benefits of red light therapy. Now you have to find the strongest best one out there at the best price, right? That's where Scott Chevery found himself. He had to create Mito Red Light so you can get the strongest best red light therapy unit in the world at the absolute best price. And the Superhuman Nation gets an additional discount. Go to MitoRedLight.com and use code SHR to get the lowest price anywhere, plus free shipping inside the USA and deeply discounted shipping worldwide. Go to VitalRedLight.com and use code SHR today. That's M-I-T-O-R-E-D-L-I-G-H-T.com. You've heard me talk about the chill pill on the show and how effective it is at helping people who suffer from social anxiety or sometimes when you just want to take the edge off uh, to a long, stressful day. Well, listen to this story from Dylan Goutreau.
0: Definitely takes anxiety away, which I have a long history of. Having started out at two milligrams a day of Xanax, that was at eight years old, and so I stopped using benzos three years ago. Extremely difficult, yeah. So I spent about three years trying to find anything and everything I could that would be healthy for me, um, to help with anxiety because I'm talking, you know, full, full out panic attack. The the Chilco was the first thing that I found that actually in the middle of a panic attack I can take, and it definitely uh subsides. Go to
1: drseeds.com, that's D. R-S-E-E-D-S Use coupon code SHR and save 20% off your first bottle of the Chill Pill. Check it out. I promise,
0: this is one supplement that delivers new mass pro synthogen x2 just upped its own legendary game to distance itself even further from the rest of the pack synthogen x2 now has double the key active ingredients if you've ever wondered what steroid-like recovery feels like synthogen x2 delivers see why others compare it favorably to powerful bodybuilding drugs at synthogen.com mass pro synthogen Would you train with it you'll gain with it
2: quest nutrition makes bars
0: cookies chips and pizzas out of complete dairy-based proteins our products minimize net carbs and sugar without sacrificing taste each delicious chocolate flavored
2: chip cookie chunk and crunchy crumble is custom made to maintain quest macros it's
0: time to enjoy foods that work for you not against you it's time to enjoy your quest this is the superhuman channel where we use oxygen for the power of good
1: Welcome back to Superhuman Radio. We're talking with Alex Leaf. His website is his name, alexleaf.com. Go there, check him out, show him some love. He There are some amazing <laughs> blogs on superhumanradio.net because of Alex Leaf. And they still get read regularly. Brilliant blogs, uh, quite frankly. Um, so, were you a big fan of grass-fed beef?
2: Um, well, I personally don't really eat beef. Uh, I can't even remember the last time I've eaten it. And that is exclusively a function of, I just, um, I just eat other foods instead. Uh, I don't believe there's any necessity to having beef in the diet. Um, I don't really think there's a single food that exists where it's necessary to eat it in the diet. Um, so I, I, I eat more, uh, chicken and eggs and dairy, but uh, just not a lot of beef. Okay. Um, I will eat it if I go out somewhere. And when I do eat it, I try to get grass-fed. Uh, but honestly, if I'm going to get grass-fed beef, I prefer to try and find bison because I think it tastes better.
1: Yeah, Alisa doesn't eat beef, and she's really never eaten beef, but she does eat bison. She definitely distinguishes a difference in the taste and the texture uh, of the meat. And bison is becoming very popular.
2: Yeah, yeah. Brian is the same way. She really dis- is disgusted by the taste of beef, but she loves bison.
1: In fact, there's a bison hunt I'm talking to my son about in Texas next year, about going on a bison hunt. Uh, but the, the problem with the bison hunt is you're guaranteed to get a bison, and but processing it, shipping it, I, I would obviously have a bison a uh, rug made from the hide. You're talking yeah. about like ten thousand dollars if you killed the damn thing. You know, oh, I mean, wow. it's like, yeah, but you know, I mean, it would it uh, would be cool to like. And these are all planes. They're on the planes. They don't, uh, you know, they they just graze. They don't feed them anything. You know, whatever is out there is what they eat. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I I'm hoping to get a black bear this year finally because I want to have a bearskin rug for the house. And bear meat oh, is very, cool. very good. Bear meat, I've had bear meat before. It's actually a cross between, uh, I would say, beef and pork, leaning more to pork, but it's, it's delicious. Uh, so I, I would put that meat to good use as well. So, nice. Anyway. All right, so in summary, and the reason I asked you that is because I wanted to see where you stand on this. So you would still strive to get grass-fed if possible, but I guess what you're saying is don't develop angst and anxiety over the fact that you're not eating grass-fed. Because it's probably not as bad for you as people make it out. Cause you know, I'm a huge proponent of, uh, if I need to get something to eat, uh, I will drive through Wendy's and buy four large beef patties for $5 and change, including tax. That's a, that's a pound of beef already cooked for you. That's an amazing bargain. And sometimes I'll put pictures up on social media and people will go, well, that's not grass fed. The reality is that that's okay, isn't it? Um,
2: I mean, it depends on how you want to define okay. Uh, I would personally kind of summarize all of this information in that uh, there may be small advantages to eating grass-fed meat in terms of minimizing the risk of exposure to antibiotic resistant bacteria, but there doesn't seem to be notable differences in the beef's nutrient and toxicant concentrations. And this, of course, ignores the environmental and ethical considerations that do pose good rationale for choosing grass-fed over conventional. Um, Additionally, because most of the nutrient differences are concentrated in the fat content of the beef, I would say that if you're someone who's going to be cooking with tallow, uh, then you'd probably want to get grass-fed tallow because if you're just eating pure concentrated fat, these differences might actually be more significant.
1: Yeah. That's a good point. I have tallow uh, I have tallow in the refrigerator, but I've never used it. I don't know why.
2: Yeah, and then so related to that too, I would argue that um, because a lot of toxicants haven't been assessed and because they are lipid soluble, if you're going to eat conventional beef, I would recommend buying the leanest cut of beef possible, which is probably going to be something from the round. Uh, the hind of the cattle, the top round, bottom round, eye of round.
1: What about the flank and the brisket?
2: Uh, well, those can be lean. Um, well, if you trim it, them right, right? right, right? People,
1: leave, people leave the fat on them when they yeah. cook them. But the reality is the fat is all pretty much concentrated to one side of it, which can be easily trimmed off. And then you've got a really lean piece of striated muscle meat.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people, uh, also erroneously believe that there's nutritional value to eating the fat and outside of getting fat, uh, the fat doesn't actually provide much meaningful nutrition. Um, it might, if it's grass fed, it might provide some like beta carotene and maybe some retinol in small amounts, but those are things you could get in far superior quantities if you just ate some plants. Um, so, I, I don't really see a good reason to eat beef fat at all. Um, I think that there's way more nutrient dense sources of fat that you can eat.
1: Okay. Sounds good. All right. The website again is alexleaf.com. You'll be hearing more of Alex uh, come 2020 or maybe even sooner. Uh, we're going to yeah. get Alex back on the air more often. Uh, it's great to have you uh, back home again. Let's say that. How does that sound? So, there you go. Yeah.
2: All yeah, right. maybe I can come on pretty soon to uh, finish this conversation by talking about organic produce.
1: I, that would be a really good thing to talk about, actually. It really would be. Yeah. So we'll do that. We'll, I'll, I'll I'll work with you, and we'll get that book pretty quickly. Awesome. Thanks, Carl. Thanks for being here, Alex. Yeah, thank you for having me. And uh, we will see everybody tomorrow with more Superhuman Radio. We have a show every day this week because next week on the 13th, I leave to go hunting. And I'm going to be gone for uh, a good week or so, so I will be re-airing some old shows. I got a lot of great emails from people saying thank you for re-airing some of the older shows that I re-aired just recently. Uh, We're going to dig up some really good ones for you. So we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening today.